Welcome to Eureka Street Crypto. This is my anti-professional crypto channel. I'm just a barely sane dude who fell down the cryptocurrency rabbit hole. This channel is my fumbling attempt to communicate myself outside my own head about my journey in the crypto space. It is basically my brain dump. None of this is actual financial advice. Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto, broadcasting from Leander, Texas. It is 5.38 in the morning, May 27th, 2022. I haven't done a morning show like this all week. I did record my special Web3 Concepts episode that I do with Open Current, but uh, uh, as far as just my personal show, this is the first one all week, and that's been unusual. However, um, this is the last day today uh, before of my day job, so um, I will be driving down there today, and then after that, I will be home from working working from home every single day. Um, I'll be done with that day job for the most part, and um, so you'll be seeing a lot more of me. I'll try to get back to a regular morning routine like I did before, maybe not every single day, including Saturdays and Sundays and holidays and when I'm out camping and when I'm at a hotel and everything like that, um, but... I, I am going to get back to doing some of these every day. <clears throat> and uh, so you can uh, wake up to my senseless rambling every single morning. So, yeah, I started out this channel October 24th, 2020 um, as just my message in a bottle to be able to um, reach out to the rest of the crypto world. I knew nobody in crypto. I wasn't a part of any DAOs. I wasn't even really sure what DAOs were. And... Uh, yeah, I was just uh, saw some YouTubers talking about some concepts, talking about news and updates and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, you know, I can do that. And that's a good way to get out and, and talk to some other people in the space. And I did. And it's been the best decision I ever made in my life. And that's just, I'm episode 459. I'm 459 episodes deep in this, plus some other stuff I haven't count, counted. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, um, it's it's been great. So if, if you want to do something just do it. And I hate to use the Nike term and I hate that Nike took that phrase over, but literally just do it, man. And bad or good, whatever it is, at least you're putting something out there, um, in, in, in the space, you know, in space that's real and tangible and, uh, that can be pointed to. And, um, it, it, it gets it out there. And once something is actually put into vibration and made active, then uh, who knows what can happen after that, right? Um, the butterfly effect is put into motion. So anyway, um, I'm not going to look at the crypto charts anymore. Um, I thought that is usually in the past. That was part of my morning routine. I would look at the crypto charts on CoinGecko, but uh, and, well, the prices are terrible right now. Um, Ethereum, I mean, relatively speaking, uh, I don't even know what Ethereum is, but last night when I went to bed, Ethereum was like $1,725. And that's the lowest it's been in a long time. Um, however, if you re rewind back a couple years ago, uh, it's, you know, things were lower back then. And, you know, now we're all poo-pooing and moaning about the low prices. Um, well, you know, a few years ago, everything was a lot lower. So things are still continuing, continuing to progress up. There's been a lot of pushback um, by the centralized entities. And that's basically... 
how life goes, right? You have centralization and decentralization continually pushing and pulling against one another. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say you know, with a lot of FUD, oh, no, we're going to you know end up in a dystopian society. Um, yes, we need to be cognizant of the the dangerous powers of a lot of these CBDCs to make us plunge down into a dystopian society of enslavement and social credit system. However, I do believe in the power of humanity and the power of humans wanting to be free and the the power of, uh, yeah, the power of humans wanting to be free. And then I also believe that the leaders a lot of times trying to impose these centralized dystopian rules on us underestimate the power of the individuals wanting to be free. So with every push of centralization, there will come an equal, equal uh, an opposite um, push of decentralization right back at it, um, either directly or indirectly. So anyway, uh, I digress. Um, I wanted to, so this kind of leads a little, in a weird little way to the topic that I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about soulbound tokens and Vitalik Buterin wrote in his paper on, uh, January 26th, um, an article, a blog post called soulbound on his blog. And these are referring to a specific type of NFTs and NFTs that are not transferable. Now, let me get over to that window here. All right. So here we are at Soulbound Tokens. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, here's his paper. And uh, so it's a specific type of NFT that is not transferable. Um, and this is something that I kind of overlooked about NFTs in the past. I was like, yeah, they're great. You know, you can use them for your college transcript, for your medical records and everything like that. Um, however, one minor detail that I was overlooking and a characteristic about NFTs is that they're, they're transferable um, for the most part. And you, uh, you can sell your NFTs to the highest bidder. And uh, so you could technically sell your college degree, you know, and uh, that's a problem. Um, well, the soulbound tokens solve this problem. So let's go through and let's just kind of pick through this article and I'll, I'll, I'll read the article and, um, and we'll um, kind of, you know, digress as I tend to do when I'm reading stuff. So here's Vitalik Buterin writing um, on January 26, 2022, the article called Soulbound. So he says, one feature of World of Warcraft, that's, that's a massively multiplayer online game. If you are not familiar with World of Warcraft, um, you're probably my parents or <laughs> you, uh, you have been way out of touch. Uh, I only know World of Warcraft. I've never actually played it, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of these other games online where you can jump into the game you're your character there are some non-playable characters in the game built into the game but you play against thousands if not hundreds of thousands if not millions of other people all around the world who are also playing the same game and logged in at the same time you are okay um so and you can talk to each other and all that stuff and you can meet each other in the lobby before and after the game. You make friends that way. And so I've seen some people who have met their life partners that way. Uh, they, they ended up getting married to their and they dress up as their avatars and whatever costumes or skins that they use in the games. Uh, that's a little weird to me, but uh, it's becoming less and less weird to um you know the younger generation um millennials and gen zers and so yeah you know i'm an old gen xer uh but um i mean as as the metaverse 
comes in into play. Uh, that's becoming a lot more and more common. And <laughs> yeah. oh man, I wonder if people are going to start just having like uh, uh, metaverse only relationships in the future. You know, and uh, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to in my DAOs. I mean, I've, I've never met them, and I, a lot of them I probably never will meet. Although I've met a few of them. So um, yeah. Interesting. Um, anyway, so Vitalik Buterin's article. One feature of World of Warcraft is that it is second nature to its players, uh, but goes most, mostly undiscussed outside of gaming circles. Right. See, I, I had to introduce you to World of Warcraft to you know a lot of people who didn't understand the concepts of massively multiplayer online ga- uh, role playing games. Anyway. So one one topic that goes mostly undiscussed outside of gaming circles is the concept of soulbound items. A soulbound item, once picked up, cannot be transferred or sold to another player. So most very powerful items in the game are soulbound and typically require completing a complicated quest or killing a very powerful monster, usually with the help of anywhere from four to 39 other players. So in, in these massively multiplayer online role-playing games, you a lot of times form guilds or teams or you, you, you find buddies in there and you group up together to kill a very, very powerful monster that you couldn't otherwise kill alone. Um, so usually with the help of anywhere from four to 39 other players, hence in order to get your character anywhere close to having the best weapons and armor, you have no choice but to participate in killing some of these extremely difficult monsters for yourself. So there are some items that you can only get by actions and not by sitting there and farming specific you know, products within a game. Like uh, there's people that do nothing but just farm wheat, you know, and then they sell the wheat and then they're able to buy the, the armor or the weapons that they need from doing that. Uh, no, you can't do that. Or people just, you know, sit there and just use the gold system in the game. And, you know, they, they use their real life money and uh, they're rich, you know. So, you know, what, what, 20 bucks going into a game, 100 bucks going into a game, no sweat off their balls, you know. So <laughs> anyway, um, so hence, in order to get your character anywhere close to having the best weapons and armor, you have no choice but to participate in killing some of these extremely d- difficult monsters yourself. So the purpose of this mechanic is fairly clear. It keeps the game challenging and interesting by making sure to get the best items you have to actually go and do the hard thing and figure out how to kill the dragon. You can't just go kill boars 10 hours a day for a year or like growing the wheat like I mentioned or get and that way you get thousands of gold and you buy the epic magic armor from other players who So uh sorry, let me reread that. You can't just go kill boars 10 hours a day for a year get thousands of gold and buy the epic magic armor from other players who killed the dragon for you. No, you got to do it for you, right? So yeah, you can't just accumulate gold by either growing wheat or by killing boars or whatever. Um, and then just buying it from some other people who killed the dragon. You have to kill the dragon and say, so, okay, of course the system is very imperfect. You could just pay a team of professionals to kill the dragon with you and you let, and let you collect the loot or even outright buy a character on a secondary market and do all this with out of game us dollars. So you don't even have to kill boars, but even still it makes for a much better game than every item always having a price. And you find that in a lot of these, these online games, you know, especially, I don't know if you play them on your phone too, you get to certain levels and yeah, a lot of these games, like I think that they are engineering this where you run out of spins or, or plays or whatever, uh, right at the crucial moment. And then suddenly the little menu pops up. Would you like to continue playing for $2.99? You know, so you, you're like, ah, 
and you sit there and you spend that. Yeah, it's only $2.99 and my Apple wallet is connected and you know, nah. So you press the button, you spend the $2.99 and you get the 100 gold that was required. And then from there, you it tips you over the edge and gets you to that next level where you can continue playing for a little longer. And I am so guilty of that. I have some stupid little slot machine type of game. And obviously, I don't get any rewards from it, from it except for maybe a little bit of dopamine you know, whenever <laughs> I pass a new level, but I, I've done that before. I'm like, ah, and then I'll sit there and pay that 99 cents or a dollar 99 or whatever it is. But you know, there's a bunch of people that do that, that adds up and that company's making bank. So, but the thing is, is that sits there and takes the fun out of the game. So the more people that do that and are, are pay to play people, you know, I think the less fun the game is because, you know, it, work really does produce reward you know and a lot of times what work can even come in a game you know if you have to work hard and to strategize and to think and to to build up then whenever you are able to finally achieve that next level it feels so much better than if you were to have bought that gold you know <laughs> it's like it's like ah here goes yeah it's, uh, yeah anyway uh I had a thought tangent, but I won't go down that tangent of doing something for immediate gratification and then feeling terrible about it later. <laughs> I'm sure you probably know what that is. Anyway, um, what if NFTs could be soul bound? Um, NFTs in their current form have many of the same properties as rare and epic items in a massively multiplayer online game. They they have social signaling value. People who can who have them can show them off. And there's more and more tools precisely to help users do that. You see that on Instagram. We see that on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is going to be implementing in, uh, in NFTs. Um, so yeah, Twitter, Instagram just recently implemented NFTs to where you can use those as your profile pick. So people are going to use them to show and signal social value. So very recently, Twitter started rolling out an integration that allows users to show off their NFTs on their profile picture. But what exactly are these NFTs signaling? Certainly one part of the answer is some kind of skill in acquiring NFTs and knowing which NFTs to acquire. But because NFTs are tradable items, another big part of the answer inevitably becomes that NFTs are about signaling wealth. And you can see this recently with all the Bored Ape Yacht Club, the Mutant Ape Yacht Club, the Crypto Punks, and all these other high, pro, you know, the Squiggles, the Noun Dow, you know, all, and the, the nouns, like people buying nouns for a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, and it's just like, it's ridiculous, you know, that, that the price that people are paying, like a Crypto Punk on uh, March 11th sold for $7.57 million, you know, and that's not even the lowest one. On March 11th, someone else bought it for seven another one number 3100 for 7.58 million dollars the the price for these crypto punks and for these board apes and all that stuff is beyond ridiculous to the point where it turns off the average consumer this just flagrant just you know uh flaunting of wealth so if someone shows you that they have an nft that is obtainable by doing such and such you can't tell whether they did that such and such themselves or whether they just paid someone else to do that such and such right so some of the time this is not a problem 
for supporting and for an NFT supporting a charity, someone buying it off the secondary market is sacrificing their own funds for the cause, and they can help and they are helping the charity by contributing to others' incentive to buy the NFT. So there's no reason to discriminate against them. And indeed, a lot of good can come from charity NFTs alone. I have a charity NFT, and it's a you, you'll see it at the end whenever I sign off. I have this little rainbow roll pull up. It's a little it's a little toilet paper NFT. And uh, I bought that NFT. And then every time that NFT and anybody else who owns a similar NFT is, is bought of that, those rainbow rolls, a portion of that NFT sales goes to um, different uh, charities that uh, will use that to you know, do certain things like help people pay off medical debt. That's what that's what the rainbow roll that I have does. It's, it, it helps uh, contribute to RIP medical debt and it helps people just, yeah, yeah, who are burdened down with medical debt to pay that off. And uh, it's done great things, but that's a charity NFT. So, but what if we want to create NFTs that are not just about who has the most money and actually try to signal something else? So aside from charity NFTs, th the only thing that other things uh, that lately in the mass public that I've seen are are these like these virtue signaling, not virtue signaling, but these wealth signaling NFTs like Bored Apes and CryptoPunks. And I know that there are NFTs with other use cases, and this is out of the scope of this article right here. But this is the point that they want to make. The majority of people uh, that are holding these NFTs and that are in the NFT world, they pretty much know about NFTs as connected to art. And in many cases, it's very expensive art. But what if we want to create NFTs that are not just about who has the most money, but and actually try to signal something else? Perhaps the best example of, of a project trying to do this is the POAP, the P-O-A-P. Uh, I've heard people pronounce it Pope. It's not a Pope. It's a POAP, all right? It's the, I don't know, whatever, call it what you want. But anyway, that stands for Proof of Attendance Protocol. So POAP is a standard by which projects can send NFTs that represent the idea that the recipient personally participated in some event. And I'm in uh, the Bankless DAO, and we use POAPs a lot. Whenever I attend meetings, community calls, and things like that, um, uh, afterwards I get sent a link to go claim my POAP, and uh, I connect my wallet, and I claim my POAP, and it downloads to my wallet, and I have hundreds of POAPs from attending meetings and calls and events and everything like that um, in my in my MetaMask wallet that show, you know, yeah, I was there. And those can be amazing. If Imagine if everybody that went to a concert, like a Kiss concert or a Motley Crue concert in the 1980s, you know, received a POAP for that event. Imagine how much those POAPs would be worth now, you know? I mean, maybe not, but I mean, it's just like, yeah, it, it's kind of cool. You know, you can show your made it like, yeah. and you can use those in a way as your resume and you can say, Hey, you know, I, I actually did that. I, I was, you know, um, had my resume out looking for web three jobs. And, uh, in a couple of those applications, I said, Hey, here's my MetaMask address. You can go on there and you can look at my POAPs and see uh, what type of um, uh, things I'm involved in, what type of projects and events I've been to. And they looked and they were impressed, you know? So yeah, man, POAPs have a great use case. So anyway, a POAP is an ex excellent example of an NFT that works better if it could be soul bound. So that's the thing is POAPs are transferable. I could sell that POAP. I could give it to somebody else, you know, and then somebody else could claim that they were at the bankless Dow community call that is going on today, you know, um, but uh, yeah, they weren't there, right? So 
Um, if someone is looking at your POAP, they're not interested in whether or not you paid someone to attend some event. They want to know that you're actually at that event. They're interested in whether or not you personally attended that event. Proposals to put certificates, e.g. driver's license, university degrees, proof of age, on-chain um, face a similar problem. Would they be much less valuable if someone doesn't meet the condition themselves and could go just buy it from someone else who does? And that's what I, you know, because in the past, in past episodes, I was like, yeah, it wouldn't be so cool to put your degree on the blockchain and that way you don't have to go through and, you know, pay that 35 to $50 for a transcript processing fee and have it sent and all this other stuff. And, you know, anytime you go to you know, a new doctor, you have to have all your medical records transferred over. No, you could just bring your wallet on your phone and then you could, you know, transfer everything you wanted over and it wouldn't be a hassle and you wouldn't have to pay fees, you know. But um, that's not the case because NFTs can be bought and sold. So while transferable NFTs have their place and can be really valuable on their own for supporting artists and charities, there's also a large and underexplored design space of what non-transferable NFTs could become. So what if governance rights could be soul bound? And governance rights in a DAO are people that hold the governance token and they're able to vote on the um, the direction of the DAO and proposals and policies. So this is a topic that Vitalik has written about ad nauseum. I don't know what ad nauseum means. I, I should know, but I don't. Uh, but it continues to be worth repeating. There are very bad things that can easily happen to governance mechanisms if governance power is easily transferable. This is true for two primary reasons. One, if the goal for governance power is if the goal is for governance power to be widely distributed, then transferability is counterproductive as concentrated interests are more likely to buy the governance rights up from everybody else. And of course, yeah, that's the same old thing. You know, you have the more shares, you're going to have the most say. And then there comes the 51 percent attack. And then, you know. If you have more than 51% of the power, then you can dictate the, the direction of the entire organization and you're taking over the uh, steering wheel of the ship. So anyway, and then number two, if the goal is for governance power to go to the competent, then transferability is counterproductive productive because nothing stops the governance rights from being bought up by the determined but incompetent. And then that goes back to the same old people. The rich people are not always the smart people. Um, and a lot of times the rich people are greedy and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you take the proverb that those who want to rule people are the least suited to do it, Seriously, then you should be suspicious of transferability precisely because transferability makes governance power flow away from the meek who are most likely to provide the valuable input to the governance and reward the power hungry who are most likely to cause problems. This is all over in the Bible, too. You know, blessed are the meek. Um, yeah. A lot of times they, they're the ones that do provide the perspective that is actually needed to happen. And those people who are power hungry, you know, every prophet and leader in the Bible did not want to be a leader or a prophet, you know, they're like, ah, oh, man, God, why'd you do this to me? I don't want to do be in this position, but they end up a lot of times being the best ones for the job, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> anyway, so, so what if we try to make governance rights non-transferable? What if we tried to make a city DAO where more voting power goes to the people who actually live in the city, or at least is reliable, democratic, and avoids undue influence by whales hoarding a large number of citizen NFTs? And uh, I looked this up in crypto cities and city DAO, um, this is another Vitalik article um, written uh, back in on Halloween in, in, in October 2021. 
Uh, city Dow is the most radical of the experiments. Unlike Miami and Reno, which are existing cities uh, with existing infrastructure to be upgraded and people to be convinced, City Dow, a Dow with legal status under the Wyoming Dow Law, uh, is trying to create entirely new cities from scratch. You know, so I and mean, we saw this a lot of times in the early days of America. You would get these religious zealot leaders go out and try to create utopias and like in, in Pennsylvania and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and a lot of times they didn't work out too well. Uh, so, but anyway, so far the project is still in its early stages. The team is currently finalizing a purchase of their first plot of land in a far off corner of Wyoming. The plan is to start with this plot of land and then add other plots of land in the future to build cities governed by a Dow making heavy use of radical economic ideas like Harburger taxes. I don't know what that is, but I'll look it up to allocate the land, make collective decisions and manage resources. Their Dow is one of the progressive few that is avoiding coin voting governance instead the governance is is the a voting scheme based on citizen nfts and ideas have been bloated to further limit votes to one per one per person by using proof of humanity verification and uh we'll get into proof of humanity here in a second so anyway that, that what if we tried back to the vitalik's first article what if we try to make a city dow where more voting power goes to the people who actually live in the city or at least is reliably democratic and avoids undue influence by whales hoarding a large number of citizen nfts and so what the nfts do is they prevent people from hoarding up a bunch of the tokens and trying to have more voting power okay so um, uh, implementing non-transferably in practice. So POAP has made the technical decision to not block transferability of the POAPs themselves. So like I said before, the POAPs can be transferred. Um, you can sell your POAPs. You can give it to somebody else. You know, if you went to that Motley Crue concert in 1984 and you have the POAP for it, you could transfer it to somebody else and you could make a good squeaky clean money off of that sale. Uh, and then someone else could sit there and, you know, put that POAP in their wallet and they could say that they were there in 1984, even though they're only uh, 25 years old, you know? So, all right. Anyway, so um, there are good reasons for this. Um, so the, the, the reasons for the transferability of POAPs, users might have a good reasons to want to migrate all their assets from one wallet to another. And I understand that. And the security of non-transferability uh, implement, implemented na naively, Naive, yeah, is not very strong anyway because you users could just create a wrapper around that holds the NFT and then sell the ownership of that. So there is a way to wrap tokens and get around all that transfer non transferability issue. Okay, uh, and indeed there have been quite a few cases where POAPs have frequently frequently been bought and sold when an e economic rationale was there to do so. Adidas recently released a POAP for a free. Uh, for free to fan to their fans that could give users priority access at a merchandise sale. What happened? Well, of course, many POAPs were quickly transferred to the highest bidder. And so it's like ticket scalpers, you know, like sitting there and just buying all the, you know, the, 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 the tickets up at the very beginning and then standing in line outside the event, selling it for a crazy amount. Um, or you get the people that sit there and uh, camp out in front of like the Apple store or Best Buy and they buy up an entire shelf of one product and then they sell it on eBay for twice the amount, you know, that type of problem. So to solve this problem, the POAP team is suggesting that developers who care about non-transferability implement checks on their own. They could check on-chain if the current owner is the same address as the original owner and they could add more sophisticated checks over time if deemed necessary. So you can check for this stuff. So anyway, they get to proof of humanity. Perhaps the one NFT that most robust that is most robustly non-transferable today is the proof of humanity. So what a proof of humanity is, 
It was developed by Santiago Siri, um, and you basically have to uh, be verified by somebody else that you are indeed a real person. You can submit a video of yourself and everything like that, and then you can get your proof of humanity ID. And then same thing with like things like Bright ID. You have to join a verification party in which you go online and you actually see people's face on video, and you're like, okay, that person is a real human. It's to prevent bots, right? Um, so theoretically, anyone can create a proof of humanity profile with a smart contract account has, that has transferable ownership and sell that account. So that is possible to do that. But the proof of humanity protocol has a revocation feature that allows the original owner to make a video asking for a profile to be reviews. Review, removed and a Claros court decides whether or not the video from the same was the same video from the original creator. So proof of humanity has a strong revocation feature for people who end up not actually being the person or if somebody sold their identity to somebody else at a high price and then other people catch that, they could take it and then the Claros to court. And if you don't know what a Claros court is, here it is. Um, uh, the screen, sorry, the screen's all wacky on you. So all right, there it is. There's Claros protocol. It's at claros.io if you want to learn more about that. But it's basically a court for DAOs and a court for um, crypt the crypto space. Whenever people have um, issues, they can take it to court and um, you know, it can be resolved there. So there's an online decentralized court. And I'll cover that in another episode, but it's, it's truly fascinating. Anyway, so let's go back down to this article about the NFTs. So that's what proof of humanity is. So can we limit the transferability without going all the way and basing everything on proof of humanity? Because that's kind of a, an extreme example to do that um, as far as non-transferability is concerned. Um, it becomes harder, but there are medium strength approaches that are probably good enough for some cases. So making an NFT bound to an ENS name is a simple option. If we assume that the users care enough about their ENS names that they're not willing to transfer them. So if I had a token that was transferred to my ENS name and EurekaJohn.eth, I want to hold on to that EurekaJohn.eth. I don't want to sell it. I like my, my ETH name. I want to keep it. Um, and uh, so the likelihood of me selling my EurekaJohn.eth um, in order to make some money is is not that high. Um, so yeah, so that's a medium grade approach to you know the transferability issue. So for now, what we're likely to see is a spectrum approaches to this limit transferability with different projects choosing different trade-offs between security and convenience. So um so let's see here they talk about privacy so privacy is a huge deal cryptographically strong privacy and transferable assets is fairly easy to understand you take your coins put them into tornado cash for instance or a similar platform and withdraw them into a fresh account but how can we add privacy for soulbound tokens so if you get a, a soulbound token transferred to you um, you a lot of times want that to be private, you know, and there, there's sometimes situ situations where you don't care if it's private or not, but if it's something like your medical information, then you want it private. So Vitalik says, um, Privacy is an important part of, of making this kind of ecosystem work, work well. In some cases, the underlying thing that the item is representing is already public, so there's no point in trying to, had to, to add privacy. But in many other cases, users would not want to reveal everything that they have. If one day in the future being vaccinated becomes a POAP, one of the worst things we could do would be to create a system where the POAP is automatically advertised for everyone to see and everyone has no choice but to let their medical decision be influenced 
by what would look cool in their particular circle. Hey, buddy, you vaxxed? Yeah, so am I. All right, cool, bye. You know, and then like shaming the other people who aren't. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So anyway, privacy being a core part of the design can avoid these bad outcomes and increase the chance that we create something great. All right, so from here to there, a common criticism of the Web3 space as it exists today is how money-oriented everything is. And that goes back to the very beginning with these board ape yacht clubs, these crypto punks selling for millions of dollars, how everything is just greed, 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 and that's how crypto started. Actually, crypto didn't start that way. Crypto started as a peer-to-peer transaction system through Bitcoin and uh, to be able to supplant the current credit system um, however, it kind of devolved into a lot of ICOs, initial coin offerings, and speculation, and these these slimy people being, hey, 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 I win moon, I win Lambo, I want to buy a Lamborghini. Hey. So anyway, people celebrate the ownership and outright waste of large amounts of wealth, and this limits the appeal and long-term sustainability of the culture that emerges around these ideas, items. So... There are, of course, important benefits that even financialized NFTs can provide, such as funding artists and charities that would otherwise go unrecognized. However, there are limits to that approach and a lot of underexplored opportunity in trying to go beyond financialization. So making more items in the crypto space soulbound can be one more path toward an alternative where NFTs can represent much more of who you are and not just what you can afford. Uh, however, there are technical challenge to, challenges to doing this and an uneasy interface between the desire to limit or prevent transfers in a blockchain ecosystem where so far all the standards are designed around maximum transferability. So right now, you know, being transferable was desired. And uh, I don't think a lot of people even thought about the whole idea of an NFT that you can't transfer because it's been so much about buying and making money and all that stuff that nobody has really put a whole lot of thought into, well, what if I don't want to sell this NFT ever? What if I want it to be a part of my identity, you know? Uh, um, you know, like for instance, the PhD letters, you know, like what you can't transfer being a PhD to somebody else, you know, like that's bestowed upon you. And yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, where was I? Um, yeah, so attaching items to identity objects that users are either unable, as with proof of humanity profiles, or unwilling, as with ENS names, so that users are either unable or unwilling to trade away seems like the most promising path. But challenges remain in making this easy to use, private, and secure. Uh, so we need more effort on thinking through and solving these challenges. If we can, this opens a much wider door to blockchains being at the center of ecosystems that are collaborative and fun and not just about money. Um, so, yeah, um, it, there's a lot of ID solutions coming out right now. You know, there's Orange Protocol, Bright ID, there's Proof of Humanity. There's there's you know, a lot of talk about decentralized ID right now. Humpty Calderon, actually, um, it, he's with uh, Orange Protocol. And it, one of his main focuses is talking about stuff like this. Um, so I don't know. There's just a lot of... Uh, um, talk about the the possibilities of using these for IDs but I mean at what point does does this become dystopian so you know I don't know here's another article on the defiant about it um, soulbound tokens have the ability to decentralize power away from major institutions and companies towards those users so instead of a private database owning your credentials you would own the key to your credentials you would own your data and so you know you would have a central authority be able to issue them 
but um, they wouldn't own them afterwards. So you wouldn't have to continually go back and pay those fees and fines to have that you know, piece of information transferred to whoever you want to have it. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, so, but uh, here's another one more thing before I sign off the whole idea of spam. What happens if someone sends you soul bound, unwanted NFTs, soul bound NFTs? Are you stuck with them forever? You know, what if somebody sends you a dick pic, you know, and it's stuck in your wallet and it's attached to your identity, you know, seriously, think about this stuff in their paper. The team proposed the idea for hiding soul bound tokens from public viewing. And, uh, I don't know who while is it's, but, uh, they told the defiant that there should be a place to hide or burn NFTs without using gas. So these are things to think about, right? Um, so uh, if there's no way to hide or burn these NFTs, it's easy to see how soulbound tokens could be problematic, even life-threatening if used by bad actors. And uh, some people went as far to suggest that soulbound tokens sound like the social credit system. And that's not very far off. Uh, uh, adopted in China, where all the citizens get a score that fluctuates based on their behavior. The dystopian scenario could emerge in a far-flung situation, not that far-flung in my point of view, where soulbound tokens are used for every aspect of online life and not just for Web3 credentialing. Um, so, yeah. All right. So these are still kind of far off and on the fringe. Like I said, everybody's still talking about the financialization of NFTs and not this use case, but this will come up, I guarantee you. So there's a difference between mainstream and mainstream and Web3. Soulbound tokens aren't even mainstream in Web3. So that being said, I've gone on for 36 minutes. I don't know how I do it, but I do it. I just start getting on my rant and I get in my flow and that's how I go. I got to get down to work. All right. It's 6.14 a.m. I got to get my smoothie together and I got to get on the road. This is my last day on the road. I'm going to start doing all this stuff more regularly. Give me a thumbs up. If you like this content, I could literally, I'm literally at like 976 subscribers. Um, I'm like, what is that? That 24 subscribers away from the thousand subscribers it takes on YouTube to become monetized. So, uh, I'm not going to have like a full-time job anymore. Um, so this is scary. So, I could use those subscribers to get myself to the point where I can start making a little money off the show. I'm still not sitting here trying to uh, have sponsors. So uh, I don't have any sponsors. Um, I do make some tokens uh, just to disclose from those Web3 basics videos in partnership with Open Current. They give me some of their Open Current tokens. Right now, they're worth absolutely zero. So who knows? But maybe they'll be worth something someday. But either way, I just enjoy making those videos. Uh, but I'm not sitting here trying to shill vitamins or anything like that, you know, on this show. I'm just trying to talk about stuff I want to talk about. So, um, yeah, the, any thumbs ups or, or things like that, uh, subscriptions subs will help. Um, so if you're on Spotify or Apple, just follow my, my podcast or whatever. All right, man. Uh, well, I will talk to you guys, uh, probably sometime this weekend. All right. And let me get this outro going. Where are you at? Where are you at? And, um, there, there, there's the outro. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically. If you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. 
my DMs are always open, feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.